you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. It is fabulous to have you here joining me on this podcast. Again, my name is Janine Garner and I am the host of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance. Now, why this podcast? Well, I absolutely believe that every single one of us has brilliance in us. Um, that we've all got a story, experiences, watershed moments that have driven us from where we were to where we are today. And that's what I love exploring in this podcast. I talk to thought leaders, game changers, industry expert, industry leaders, athletes, whatever it may be from whatever walk of life. I'm curious as to what helped them unleash their brilliance and more importantly, the brilliance that they're bringing to the world to enable other people to shine too. Now, today's episode is a conversation I had with Tracy Ezard. Tracy is based in Melbourne, and I've been following her work for a while now um, through a mutual connections and uh, learning spaces that we both operate in, in terms of Thought Leaders Global. Tracy is an author of two books. Uh, the first book, The Buzz, Creating a Thriving and Collaborative Staff Learning Culture, which was designed for education leaders to support schools to bring about transformation in in the classroom and her second book glue the stuff that binds us together to do extraordinary work was written for leaders across all sectors who want to lift beyond convention to create high performing teams what i love about tracy is her constant evolution of her work and ip and she's currently working on her third book ferocious warmth connecting heads and hearts to transform education. And it was as she was sharing her thinking around ferocious warmth and linked to it this concept of ignorant truth that we started having some really in-depth conversations around the duality of leadership and the challenge of leadership right now. And that's what we explore in this podcast. Uh, um, Tracy shares uh, the challenge of our own assumptions getting in the way Uh, and how we've actually got to learn to be aware of our own ignorant truth, of which we all have have one. She talks about the importance of creating the space to allow people to learn, to grow, and to continually evolve. And she talks about the real need for ferocious warmth right now. When we look at the world that we are all operating in, one where we are having to navigate those macro-challenges of uh, economic challenge, health challenge, social challenge, and somehow within all of that, all of us are having to navigate uh, through and out of the other side. We're having to tap into increased curiosity. We're having to connect dots more than ever before. We're having to inspire people towards a new future. And more than ever before, we're having to trust our intuition. And it is within this that Tracy argues the need for ferocious warmth in terms of leadership is needed. Tracy helps teams thrive by focusing on building collaboration and learning, and she builds the capacity of leaders and staff to create an energy buzz about the work and alignment on their future plans. She's all about helping leaders and staff co-create and collaborate, and most importantly, learn deeply with each other as they do so. Um, Absolutely something we all need 
as we work towards unleashing our own brilliance, as we work towards bringing the best of ourselves to everything that we do, as we work towards creating the opportunity to amplify and unleash the brilliance of the people around us. So please settle in and please enjoy uh, this wonderful conversation that I had with the fabulous Tracy Ezard. Tracy Ezard, it's fabulous to have you on my podcast today. How are you? I'm so well, Janine, and so excited to be here with you. I just, uh, I've just been loving your book, so I'm, I'm right in the space of being um, able to talk brilliance with you. Oh, that's that's fabulous! As the a fellow author, so you've also written a couple of books: The Buzz, uh, which is all about thriving, creating a thriving and collaborative staff learning culture, and then Glue, which I really loved around um, you know trans. Transform, transformation in the classroom. Um, you know what it's like to write a book. It's not always easy, is it? It's not as easy as people either think it is because all they see is that end result. But the journey to get there is is certainly mammoth. Sure is, and I'm I'm writing my third book at the moment. Ah! I just sort of yeah, which is exciting. But it's it's been like it's been bubbling in my mind for a good I don't know how many years since I finished Glue. I think, uh, and it, it it's. It was like going to the top of Mount Everest before it all started coming out of my head. So I'm just in that space where I've, I feel like I've just vomited pages out <laughs> of my head and, and now I've got to sharpen it and, and get it flowing. And, yeah, so it's it, it, fascinating. I never call myself an author even though I've got two books and another one hatching. Uh, so it's quite it's quite weird to even think of myself like that, I think. Uh, well, you are. You've got almost three pieces of IP out there, so it's going to be great to explore that stuff. Now, um, can you can you just share with our audience that are listening in there just a little bit about you in terms of uh, where you've come from and what you're doing now? So i I come from an education background. Uh, I was a teacher for a long time. I was a music teacher. I became a senior leader. Uh, and and I just always love connection, love relationships, but also love leading. You know, when you look back at what are the stories that come up for you when you think about your leadership or your journey to leadership? And, you know, when I was a kid, I was big into music. And so I, I was a flute player and I loved leading the orchestras. I loved conducting. And just all that stuff of bringing people together and creating some magic was always really um, inspiring to me and so when I was a teacher I used to love working with kids putting on huge productions and it just seeing the joy and the sparkle in their eyes was 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 fabulous so and so I think that went into my leading and my leadership was you know how do we bring people together to get the most extraordinary out of them so you know glue my you know second book is about the stuff that binds us together to do extraordinary work which is you know the glue of trust the glue of collaboration and I don't think we talk about it enough. So, um, yeah, I, so I left I, I left teaching. I went and became a business manager in a fine dining restaurant, as you do, uh, which was a great uh, just learning curve and I love being in that learning space, so that was exciting. Worked in the automotive industry as a project manager and then just started working with leaders and teams around culture, bringing culture and strategy together. And then, like you, you know, the, the collaboration stuff just kept on coming up of how do we have deep dialogue talking about the stuff that matters so everything's sort of you know everything's a journey isn't it so that's sort of where my journey sort of went all over the place and came together going no this is the work that I actually want to do in the world 
And what is it about this work that you want to do in the world? What What is it that drives you? I just think that we we lose so much potential in organisations. I think a lot of people are scared to speak. So psychological safety is really important to me. I, I love working with organisations that want to create a learning culture and and I just know, A, from the research, but also from now doing this for 15 years, that the impact leaders have on a learning culture is huge. So how do we create a space where people feel that they can bring their best? What we know from the neuroscience is that when our brains are connected to each other, there's a sense of um, there's a sense of collaboration and safety that means that we can address the hard stuff. And I just reckon we're, we're, we've got too much mediocrity in the world going on, I think. I think there's a lot of brilliance going on, but I think there's a lot of us that go, I could, I could just shine far more if the culture um, and the leadership in an organisation allowed me to. So I think we need to help leaders to be able to understand how to bring out the best in others. Is there a um, particular watershed moment or memory that that you have that almost cemented this passion? Um, you know, a, an experience, a watershed moment where you went, "Oh, I finally got it! I finally, finally found the lane that I want to play in." Yeah, I think it sort of goes back to those days when, as a when I was in schools and as a whole school we would create these most amazing memories for kids. So we'd have the community working with us. We'd have, you know, parents just coming to the fore and doing amazing jobs. We'd have all the the teaching staff and the support staff coming together to co-create. So co-creation's big for me. I think, you know, how do we get out of other people's way and let their brilliance shine through? And and most importantly, co-creating with the kids as well. And so those sort of big events made me, I think, realise that the more we can get out of being the autocrat <laughs> and controlling stuff and actually letting go and and learning out loud with each other and playing around and tossing things around and innovating and being creative, we actually get far better outcomes. So I think they were some watersheds. And I also think I had some opposite ones where, you know, my dad uh, was in business all his life, Still, he's still going, you know, um, uh, and... He was sort of to the far right of Attila the Hun, I think. You know, he his, his approach was um, autocracy, you do what I say, I know what I'm doing. And and while I love him to death, I think I learned quite a few of my what don't you do as a leader from watching him and just going, hmm, I, just, I, don't, I don't want people around me to sort of feel that they haven't got a whole lot of stuff to bring to the table. And sometimes, you know, I could see that the people around him felt like that. Mm. And so the flip side of that then in terms of what you saw um, or what you experienced with your your father, what you saw in schools and now the work that you do around building trust and collaboration and the impact that that has on leadership, um, where, where are some of the biggest mistakes made right now? Uh, I think it's when we assume we know the answers like you know we've got to drop the need to be right and I think for a lot of us as leaders we got to leadership we got to where we were because we were good at what we did we knew the answers we were quick to let everyone see that we had the goods 
And yet the world is so complex now that we can't have the goods forever. What we have to do is to be able to bring out um, the great thinking that all of us have together and be able to have that deep dialogue, that that really robust debate. And so I think, um, you know, there's there's two things that I always say to leaders, that the, the, the better we are at being vulnerable about going, I don't know the answer here, but let's all work together to know it or to find it out, to trial it out, the better we're going to get some good um, outcomes. And I, I, I sort of have a saying for this, and that is that I think, I think we need to own our ignorant truth and and that is be okay about coming and sitting down with people and saying, I've got my view of the world, I've got my lens that I look through, but, hey, it's just my lens. And listen deeply to what other people think. Listen deeply to their experiences. Listen deeply to what's going on for them. Um, I love that term, ignorant truth, Tracy. Mm. Can you... Um... Can you tell me a little bit more around where that thinking came from and do you believe that we all have an ignorant truth or truths? Mm. <clears throat> I really do believe we all have ignorant truth because uh, we've got a funny thing around the world, we're ignorance, don't we, but it really just means I don't know. It's, it's something that I have no knowledge of. And I sort of first started thinking more deeply about this. I've been, I've been doing a lot of thinking about um, leadership and I, you know, my my book is called Ferocious Warmth Leadership and um, about how do we do results and relationships, head and heart. And, you know, when I started really thinking and delving into that, I realised that um, a lot of the challenges we have when we work with people is that our own assumptions rule everything. You know, someone will say a word and we have this massive assumption about what they mean. But instead of owning that and going, that's my interpretation, let me find out what that other person thinks, we actually just continue down the track and, and it becomes our truth. And so we think we know what's going on, but in actual fact we've got this little slither. Um, and I can remember working with uh, a group of uh, Indigenous Australians uh, and um, education support officers, absolutely beautiful people working with Indigenous children within our school system. And I was there to work with them around teams. And and yet, you know, they've, they've got so much wisdom, so much collective insight and a collective history as well as individual histories. Uh, and I, I know a slight bit, a little tiny sliver of, of what people in that room have seen of the world and their experiences and often horrific experiences at the, at the hands of systems and education. And I can just remember saying to them, I, I come to you with my ignorant truth. Uh, I come to you knowing what I know. And, but there's a huge amount that I don't know. And what I ask of you is to be gentle with my ignorant truth and open it up so that I can be curious and find out more about what your models of the world are so we can create some interesting thinking about how you work as a team. So it's sort of that just that coming from um, a space of learning and curiosity rather than knowing it all. That's, well, what you've just shared and um, that term, ignorant truth. I mean, if we look at what is going on globally outside of the economic challenge and the pandemic challenge, but if we look at what is going on globally socially, um, there's such power 
in those two words that are almost intentionally opposite and yet therein lies the magic. Um, When you think about what's going on in the world, I mean, in our own country in Australia, obviously, you know, there is ongoing debate uh, around uh, like there is around the world, or this Black Lives Matter, etc. Um, but whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it be gender, whether it be mm-hmm. age, whether it be poverty, mm-hmm. um, it, there's such power in those two words. Can you share a little bit, like dig a little bit deeper on yeah, them for me? Sure. I I just I think that what ends up happening when we don't own our ignorant truth is we we and I hate to say the word cancel because I know cancel culture is such a big term at the moment, but we do we cancel each other out because. We, we go into defence as soon as we don't see that what we believe is simply just a belief. It's, you know, it's, it's we, we can have a point of view, but if we our points of view closes off to other people's points of view, then we don't seek to actually get to a better stage in our society. So I think if we can come, and, you know, some of the most amazing Things come about, don't they? When when people come together with a with an intent to understand more deeply the way the other person sees the world, uh, and you know, there's some great research about um, you know people with incredible opposing political views coming together and having deep dialogue, and then seeing each other differently. Uh, or stories being told rather than just data and statistics, you know, that's that head and the heart thing. Uh, being able to really look at someone and not see them as um, some a threat but see them as someone who can deepen my knowledge and understanding of the world. I'm really trying to do that at the moment by broadening what I'm reading, broadening what I'm listening Two, I think, you know, algorithms on social media mean that we're very closed down around what we're doing. We're in these little bubbles of coronavirus at the moment where we're probably only listening to a handful of the same people unless we deliberately seek to provoke our own thinking. So provocation of our, I think we're really good at provoking other people. Um, I think we're good at saying this is what I think and you've got to think it as well. But provoking our own thinking, I reckon, is the key to us being able to move into a future where we actually start breaking down barriers rather than building more walls. I couldn't believe, I couldn't agree more, and it reminds me of um, a story I do actually share it in in my latest book, Be Brilliant, from a guy called Ron Harvey. Uh, I met him at Harvard. Uh, last year he's also been on this podcast and he uh he does some amazing work in the US but he shares this personal story of being a young um uh an, an art, he'd be, he'd been he'd served in the gulf for the american uh defense and then come back and essentially been asked to go to a small community on recruitment duty and he turns up in this community dressed in his uniform knocks on the door to go and speak to a young potential recruit and the mother answers the door and literally says to him um you can talk to my son but you'll never be allowed in my house and he realized in that moment that the color of his skin was actually 
putting up a big boundary for the conversation that needed to happen. And Mm -hmm. the story that he shares around his response to it and the subsequent ripple effect and impact that it had is is just phenomenal. But, you know, he, he talks quite openly around the opportunity that exists when we're willing and prepared to meet people where they're at, um, when we're brave enough to connect and be emotionally involved and fully committed to conversation. And most of all, when we're willing to um, actually have our own judgments challenged, um, that's that's where the opportunity exists. And that's exactly what you're referring to, I think, with this concept of ignorant truth. Am I, am I, am I correct in that Absolutely. assumption? Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I think that, um, you know, we're very... We're very unaware of those bias, and and I know that we we can never get rid of our bias, um, but I think sometimes we can shock ourselves with just how unconscious that perhaps can be. Um, in in all ways, I look at my you know my daughter who's seventeen, and she goes to a school where it is so beautifully open and accepting of all sexual orientations, all gender orientations, all ethnicities, all nationalities. And for her, it's just she looks at people that that make judgments about people as to, you know, where, the, where they come from or uh, the colour of their skin or, the, again, their sexual orientation. And it just so puzzles her because um, I think our, our new generation, they, they're just going, what is this all about? You know, I, we, they don't understand our sort of unconscious, this is the way we see the world because of the the roots of our upbringing, of of just having quite a myopic view of the world. Mm. Can you, uh, apart from that example you shared, um, has there ever been in a work context uh, an example that you, you're happy to share that that showed your own ignorant truth and how through having your judgment perception changed, it opened up more opportunity. <sighs> Oh, that's a that's a good one to think about. I'm just wondering before I share one from me, I just would love to share one that I had in a workshop I recently ran yeah, yeah. with a whole lot of female doctors and surgeons, and uh, amazing human beings. And one of them came from Afghanistan, and she shared the story of putting together um, a pretty important paper, pretty important report that was uh, passed around, people did different things with it and, and it was really her um, her work. And there were a couple of papers that were tabled at a, at a meeting and one of the, the, the leader that was leading the meeting started to question the grammar, the flow, the structure, the content of the report and people were sort of playing around with it and suggesting what should happen. And then at the end, he gave it to her and said, you'll need to fix this. But the report he gave her was actually a report that his superior had written. And he had just made this huge sweeping assumption that because English was her second language, uh, that it must have been her report. Wow. And she said, and in in fact, she even um, also said that, um, you know, 10 years ago she had to leave a hospital because of her um, country of origin was causing people to uh, suspect her from a position of what was she doing there, et cetera, and fear for themselves. So she had to leave that hospital. So I think, you know, this is rife. And the the I was just gobsmacked by that right in your face um, ex- 
example of you know bias and racism and you know there was probably some gender stuff in there as well that just laced that whole conversation for that meeting and how that can actually impact the other side of the decision making right it's uh, it's all that work that you and I are both passionate around around the adaptive leadership piece about creating that space to make sure you keep that balcony perspective to ensure that you're making having the right conversations throwing the right questions to the table it's it's fascinating and yet do you see that continuing in the workplace right now in in the work that you're doing with leadership this this assumption this ignorant truth yes i i do and i think I think in that case, it's actually not ignorant truth. It's just truth. People see it as their truth. Whereas I, I really think that ignorant truth, owning our ignorant truth, is is stepping into it with uh, humility and saying, "This is what you know. This is what I don't know." You know, and it, it can come with us at a, a at a flash. You know, I I know running lots of different workshops that you know even ignorant truth about where people come from is is huge when you you meet a whole lot of people that you've never met before and they come in to do the work with you and you can make assumptions by you know what they look like you know whether they've they look like you know have they had a rough life you know all that sort of thing and and um I actually have a girlfriend who uh is is in, when you look at her, you can easily. Sometimes I actually use photos of her for people to just sort of say, "What what's the blink in, that you see? What do you think of this person when you see them?" And we sort of lay bare people's ignorant truth around, oh, you know, lots of tattoos, um, you know, need some dentistry, all this sort of stuff that's that's very surface, and yet she's she's a very deep um, uh, counselor, gestalt therapist extremely skilled at being able to bring out the most amazing insights in people and yet people will often just wipe her before they even talk to her and so you know it really helps me those experiences of people I love when that happens to them really helps me to make sure that I'm trying my hardest to be aware of the bias that I might bring in in terms of judging people before they've even opened their mouths sometimes. Now, you've been doing a a lot of thinking, um, as you've alluded to, with regards to developing the thinking for this this next book. And in the the context of of the podcast and uh, its messaging around unleashing brilliance and helping uh, give people tips and tools of, of how to become better versions of themselves, better leaders themselves, to follow their dreams, whatever it may be. Um, I'd love you to talk to us a little bit about this concept that you have and this IP that you have around ferocious warmth. Again, you've got two wonderful contrasting words there that you're bringing together. And I'm curious as to, as to you know, the depth of thinking and, and why this is so important, you believe, in terms of all of us moving forwards. Mm. I think... Um, <clears throat> Sorry. That's okay. I think with leadership, one of the challenges that we have is we're often so driven around KPIs, around measurement, around targets, around what, you know, bringing the money in, what's the bottom line? Are we making revenue? Are we are we getting this shareholder value? Um, you know, in education, are we hitting the the standards that the the government set? All these sort of things are thrown at us. And yet the only way we get great extraordinary results is when we bring our people with us 
And and I think for too long leadership was very much around you just sort of beat your people uh, until they give you what you need. And what what we know great leadership does is it actually draws from both results and relationships. So I've just seen so many brilliant leaders over my career and certainly the ones I've worked with in my own practice over the last 15 years of working with leadership development. And I started to see real patterns. So I want you to imagine, Janine, just um, the image of an infinity symbol. You know, and an infinity symbol, it's just, I want you to imagine sort of liquid running through it, you know, from side to side going around and around and around. And I think when we're great leaders, we sort of have to pull from two sides of ourselves. We have to pull from the cognitive, from our head, from the logic, from the structure, but we also have to pull from our heart and from, you know, the stories, the beliefs that drive us, our conviction, the things that make us uh, really proud to be doing what we're doing but also wanting to make a difference in the world. And I think with this infinity symbol, we, we get this idea of every time we make a decision, every time we have an interaction with someone, actually pulling from both our head and our heart we're making decisions that need emotion and logic where we're wanting to be challenging of what we're doing but at the same time we're wanting to create safety for people to be able to really say their truth and and be able to have a good robust debate and and I think that when we are really centered we're in the middle of that infinity symbol and we're drawing from both sides but when we get out of kilter we can go too much one way or the other so we can get very harsh and when we get too ferocious I call that the fearsome leader and the fearsome leader is the leader that just inflicts trauma on people people hide under the desk when they come around they don't want to speak when they're in a meeting with them because they know they'll be shot down uh it what what it does is it actually freezes people's cognitive ability to be able to be themselves but they actually then don't bring their best, their emotional best, best into the workplace, which, you know, as we know, one in four, they reckon now one in three people with COVID, you know, have mental health challenges in the workplace. And, uh, you know, we know a lot of it does stem with the relationship that they can have with their with their leaders. So that's the sort of that extreme of ferocity. But I, But there's also sometimes we have leaders that what they do when they're out of balance they go too much to the relationship side and they want to be everyone's friend and, you know, they have too many drinks at the barbie and, um, you know, they, they, they want to be everyone's mate. And then when they need to lift the, lift the standards, lift the challenges, people just really laugh at them and or they're too enmeshed in their dramas. Um, and I call them the enmeshed leader because they're, you know, they're, they're just too involved in people's lives to the extent where they can't extract themselves when they when they need to actually have future clear direction, um, and so I reckon it's a battle. You know, so I don't know what, what you know, but I, I certainly know when I'm out of my default, I I can tend to go uh, quite often towards more results, more task. You know, more got to get this done, action oriented, and so I really need to look at my the strengths of my and. Um, my warmth side and go, I, I need more empathy here. How do I step in and how do I just listen more deeply to what's going on for this person and just hold the space for them? Whereas some people I know that go to more result relationships, they're, they're just far more relationship driven. Sometimes what they need to do is pull over from the ferocious side and say, oh, I've got to get more conviction about actually what are we trying to achieve here? What's our purpose? Uh, 
you know, what what strategically is our good next move? Because I'm in a muddle here. And so, you know, being able to see what our strengths are from either side, but also the shadows of those is, is sort of what the nuance is. And I've been loving playing around with it because people really do resonate with the term. When, when I ask people, do you know a ferocious warmth leader? Someone who holds the bar high, but people just want to go up there with them. That's a bit of what it is. I love it. I love it. And what I'm liking about your IP, and I can't wait for the book to come out, is um, you've almost created a way to self-diagnose and identify where you're at on that infinity symbol and equally giving individuals the insight, the tools, the tips to whichever side you fall on as your, you called it your default, default Mm. there, um, a way to almost keep working on getting back to that centerpiece. It's, it's almost like, as I talk about brilliance is a practice where you're, you're arguing is that this, this ability, this need for ferocious warmth leadership is a practice too, because all of us have a natural affinity to one side of that affinity model yeah. than the other and so that ability to be able to work your shadows and get closer to the center is really what you're saying is needed in leadership is is that correct absolutely and and you know i think it first starts off with awareness you know and you know most leadership books you read they talk about awareness all the time and and i think that this just gives you a really easy way i i would have I, i've spoken a lot recently to people around you know with all the the, the challenges of the current situation with coronavirus, you know, and the stress, where do you feel you, you're naturally going to? And people can feel that they're, they're out of sync a little bit. And the leaders I've talked to lately, I've been talking about the fact that, you know, they rather than we often say, you know, you've been the oxygen mask, I reckon leaders have been the oxygen actually for, for people to be able to survive this time. And especially I work, you know, a lot in education and principals have just been there front and centre, mm. as well as health, you know, doctors, nurses, being there front and centre. And so the first thing that goes is self-compassion and self-care. Uh, and so it's, it's and for a lot of people, it's, they have the belief that I can't do that now, I haven't got time for that now. And yet, we need them to reframe that belief to say, if I don't look after myself, I'm not looking after everyone else. So, mm. Do that first, and I know that's a big tenant that you have in the work that you do, Janine. You know that. Do do I know where I am? Have I got awareness of me? And am I looking after me to be the very best I can be? So, awareness is one piece, and the other the other big one for me, and again, it's something that's really strong in your book as well, around your character um, uh, part is conviction, uh, and just being. You know, what are you here to do, and and what are the values and the beliefs that that drive you and or drive you know you drive me am I am I aligning to my purpose because I think that when we get out of aligning to our purpose we sort of get out of sync with who we are you know and I can remember having a real uh, great aha listening to Brene Brown when she was in Australia last year and she talked about how she feels when she's out of alignment with her two highest values and I all of a sudden went, doing, yes, resentment and victim. Yeah, they come up yeah. really strongly for me. And uh, whereas when I feel aligned and I've got conviction about what I'm doing and I have um, a faith that I'm working with integrity, I'm able to see myself a little bit 
clearer. So, yeah, so awareness, conviction, and there's two more, I, I think, which is focus and learning. But, you know, learning is a big piece for me, I think. Le- we are the lead learners. We should be the lead learners. We should be creating learning cultures where we're curious, we're open to feedback, um, and we're modelling, you know, what it is we're, we're after from for others. So I'm sure you might Isn't it fascinating as I'm, as I'm listening to you speaking and knowing the story that you shared earlier about where you started and some of the work, you know, moving from teacher to mm. a business manager in a fine dining restaurant and I'm imagining experiencing firsthand the importance of customer service there mm. and then the work that you've done. Um, and you've almost gone full circle because you just said learning is such a big piece. It's really important that we learn about ourselves, but also we create that environment to learn. Um, so it absolutely runs runs through your work. Um, what question I want to ask you? I was reading um, Melinda Gates's book, The Moment of Lift. I don't know if you've read it, and uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's so good, and she shares in the book about a question one of her friends asked her, a lady called Killian No, who founded an organization called the Recovery Cafe, which was all about uh, helping and serving people that were suffering from addiction or mental health or homelessness. And the question that Killian asked Melinda Gates, and I want to ask you, is she said, what do you know now in a deeper way than you knew it before? So what do you know now, Tracy, in a deeper way than you knew it before? What a great question. Mm. I think what I now am far more aware of is that the first place I need to look at if things aren't going where I'm after or what I'm needing to do or wanting to do is to look first into my own blind spots. So it's almost look into those shadows, look into it's it's that mirror stuff that that people often talk about that I love of what are you seeing and is frustrating you in others and then flip the mirror back and say what is that that's going on for me and I think that so I think it's been a self-awareness journey for me in the learning space of um, often what I see in others is what I need to see in myself first whether it be my strengths or my shadows. Um, and I think I'm a lot, it's still a journey, that's for sure. Uh, but and, and owning my ignorant truth has been youth, useful for that because I think our blind spots are our ignorant truth. It's the stuff we don't see. It's the stuff we don't know, but other people might notice it. Um, and so being more willing to dig into that rather than avoid it uh, is, has been one of my biggest learnings, I think, over the years. Mm, I love that. So much wisdom in that. And in the context of unleashing brilliance, what does unleashing brilliance mean to you? It's about, for me, it's about standing in that authenticity. You know, one of the one of the things that really resonated for me in the book, I mean, I love so much of it, but I loved just the easy part of be a flamingo, um, you know, and and I think, you know, some people might go, oh, but I don't want to be a flamingo. But even not wanting to be a flamingo is being a flamingo <laughs> because you you know what you, you're wanting, you know what you stand, stand for and you're, and, and, you're, and you're being who you want to be. I work with so many people in, uh, you know, the community services, people that are right on the front line with homelessness, uh, you know, really interesting um, people who bring their all to their work. And a lot of them don't want any of the limelight. 
That's not their thing at all. And yet they are, for me, real flamingos because they're making this difference on the planet that for the people that they interact with every day, uh, it, it's huge and it's changing the world one little person at a time. So I think whatever wherever we are, if we can just go, what's my flamingo? You know, how do I want to be a, a flamingo? Um, that's about unleashing brilliance just wherever you are. Tracy, there's been so many gems in in this short conversation um, and I really, really love your thinking around this future of leadership and the duality that exists with your ferocious warmth and the ignorant truth and uh, can't wait for that next book to come out. So I'll make sure I share the the title and how to get in touch with you in these in these show notes but to to wrap up um you know we often um as a society ask people what's next what's the big dream what's next on the plan it's like third book and then i'm sure global expansion and speaking around the world whatever it may be <laughs> my my question is actually more to do with you and the question is what do you tracy want to be remembered for I would like to be remembered for someone who held the space for people to find their voice and do extraordinary things together. That's fabulous. Tracy, it's been an absolute joy. Um, oh, it's congratulations been on everything that you are doing and the impact that you're making. It's great work. Thank you, Janine. And I'm just so honoured and privileged that you, you know, gave me the uh, invite to come and speak because I just, I, I just really love your work and what you're putting out in the world. So it's a real honour. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results. <laughs>